And a stretch to Bagwell. A fly ball, left field, pretty well hit. It is gone. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 103 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton. My co-host Jeremy Paxton is off this weekend. Uh, Today is going to be a, a brief episode. Uh, Hunter Atkins, one of our other co-hosts, is going to join us here in just a few moments to talk a little Astros baseball. Of course, the Astros dropped two out of three in its weekend series up in Detroit, uh, falling to the Tigers both Saturday and Sunday. And of course, the trade deadline is just a few hours away by the time you're listening to this episode. So we'll get into that here in just a few moments. And also, we'll talk uh, about Jeff Bagwell being inaugurated into the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, kind of. Uh, the backstory behind Bagwell's tail end of his career, which Hunter wrote a great story uh, in the Houston Chronicle, on which you can check out now, uh, is in Sunday's paper as well. But uh, a lot of great uh, content coming from the Chronicle this week as Jeff Bagwell was inaugurated to the Hall of Fame uh, alongside uh, Pudge Rodriguez, who was one of my favorite players uh, growing up. A phenomenal catcher, spent 10 seasons, 10 plus seasons with the Texas Rangers. Also spent a year here in Houston, which a lot of people had forgotten. But uh, Tim Raines, another inductee into the Hall of Fame. But we'll get into all of that here in just a few moments with Hunter. But I want to remind you that you can follow our work at weeklybrewcast.com and also you can subscribe to our social media channels at weekly brewcast you can find us on both facebook twitter instagram and youtube also we want to give a shout out real quick to our sponsors and uh, of course this episode of the weekly brew podcast is brought to you by audible and you can get a free audio book download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash weeklybrewcast. They've got something like 180,000 titles to choose from. Uh, it can be on your iPhone, Android, or your Kindle device. And again, that's audibletrial.com slash weeklybrewcast. But uh, we're not going to bore you with any more topics right now. This is going to be a brief episode. And joining us now on the phone line is going to be Hunter Atkins. So without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on the phone line is the one and only Hunter Atkins. Uh, joining us from Detroit, actually, after covering the Astros series. And Hunter, uh, it wasn't the best series. Astros dropped two out of three. Lance McCullers doesn't look good. Dallas Keuchel can't get past three innings of work. Uh, what do you make of the series? First of all, buddy, good to talk to you. Long good to have you back. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this has got to be the most, certainly one of the most, disappointing weekends for Astros fans. Um, You have the much-anticipated return of Dallas Keuchel after eight weeks on the disabled list for uh, a pinched nerve in his neck, and he was unimpressive, Um, just not himself. You know, really poor command, really hittable. Um, And then Kyle McHugh pitched outstandingly in his second start back from the disabled list yesterday. But then the bullpen blew his game. Uh, so I, I should have said, I guess, that although Keiko pitched really poorly, the Astros ended up coming back, as they always seem to, and won because of a go-ahead home run by Josh Reddick. But then, yeah, they lost the last two consecutive games to drop the series. Uh, so Colin Q pitched really well, but then the bullpen blew it. 
Uh, and we can we can circle back to why that was. Basically, the, the bullpen is just depleted right now, I'm tired and overtaxed. And then today, McCullers was bad. I wouldn't quite say he was awful because he actually somehow managed to keep the Astros in it through five innings. But he was just really bad, and it's in concert with a decline that he's been on over his last um, five starts. So uh, I'm not sure. Where do you want to begin with all that? Yeah, let's start with the McCullers. I mean, because I'm not really too concerned about Dallas Keuchel. It's his first game back. I mean, he was on a pitch count. That's fine. But McCullers is concerning to me. His... He's been hit hard in his last few outings. I think you sent out a tweet on Sunday saying he gave up something like 23 runs in 24 innings or something along those lines. He, he's a guy that his curveball is obviously his best pitch, but he sets it up from his, you know, locating his fastball. And he was unable to locate his fastball on Sunday. His curveball was ineffective. He wasn't able to locate either. Uh, and let's not make it too complicated. To <clears throat> He's... He's been on a consistent decline, four or five starts. The Astros have lost all those games. And it, it, he simply, his command is just, it's not necessarily gone, but the elite command that he had before that, you know, make the all-star team, that helped him go 7-1 and one with a 2-5-3 ERA, that is gone. That kind of like, mastery of his command. Um he, he, you said that, that he was hit hard. I mean, it's, it's not that he was hit hard, actually. He's putting men on base in every inning. He's making life so damn hard for himself. I was, I was talking with somebody, um, I, sh- I shouldn't say who, but I was talking with somebody uh, this weekend about, you know, like, he must be so frustrating for the staff, the Astros staff, because he has so much talent, clearly. You know, his stuff is incredible. He's in great shape. He's sort of voracious for information. And the person replied, he's uncoachable. Uh, really? Which makes sense. He, he's, yeah, I mean, he, look, he, he's, he's hyper-focused on what he wants to do on the field, meaning, like, he wants to do, he likes doing what he wants to do. He doesn't, he's a guy who has really elaborate routines that he doesn't like to deviate from. And it's, you know, it's very idiosyncratic from, you know, he has to see a movie the day before every single start. He has to go out and see a movie. He will do it by himself if he has to. He has to have uh, like a, a, a liquid vegetable shake every single, before every single start. He's got to wear the exact same jeans before every start. He's got to get a haircut before every start. Like all, all these things contribute to, you know, he, he's rather more fragile than he may seem. Um, and he's easily rattled. He doesn't like to deviate from what he wants to do. And, you know, he's looking for answers as to how he can write himself and get his command back. And I'm not, and he, and he admitted today after the game, he was dejected and, and very unlike himself in the postgame press conference or not press conference, but at his locker talking to media today. Even when he's lost in the past, he's still loquacious. I mean, he's very talkative, very bright, and he was terse. But kept everything very short. Um, he was asked, the first question was, what did you think of your stuff today? It was sort of like a softball question to start him off with, right? And he responded, <laughs> he responded, kind of how, how I've been lately. <laughs> As if to suggest, <laughs> I don't know what the F I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, like, I just... He's got no answers. Um, and 
you know, I, I don't get the impression that he's really open to whatever the coaching staff is trying to preach to him. I mean, he's burning so many pitches, wasting so many pitches in these outings. Uh, and he likes to say that it's not that big a deal. You know, you know, he's got to trust his curveball. Sometimes the curveball just breaks out of the zone. And it's just like, dude, you know, you're, you know, you're really burning yourself out before you even have a chance to go deeper into the games. And, and it's all just a mess for him right now. To me, that's a little bit concerning because he's a guy that in the postseason, you, you are kind of penciling in as your number two starter. What do you do? I... Ahead, man. No, that's the, and that, that's, we don't want to, I, I don't know, you know, it's not Armageddon. And it's not that this weekend should represent the fate of the Astros in the postseason after right. they had this remarkable run. But it, it's that, Everybody is aware that this is a that this is not a confident area of the team. You know, who is going to make up the starting rotation that you're going to go to war with in October? There's plenty of time to iron that out. But you know, like the best pitcher, <laughs> the best pitcher of late has been Brad Peacock, and they moved him into the bullpen. Right. You know what I mean? Because there's this presumption that oh. Brad Peacock really couldn't do that if he had to in a postseason game, right? So they moved him into the bullpen. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's a strikeout guy, so he'd be great if they had to use him in a pinch. And then, you know, the, but what the message is, I think, is that they, they need to test out if Colin McHugh is going to be able to be a more viable starting pitcher in the postseason than Mike Fires and maybe even Lance McCullers. You know, you know what I mean? Like, there, there really isn't, for, for, for a team that is leading the AL in wins and has been the presumptive favorite to get to the World Series out of the American League, they really don't have a lot of confidence, I think, in who they would go to war with right now. There certainly is not a clear ace of the staff, and that, that really can bring us back to, to Dallas Keuchel, who I actually, I'm, uh, I'm much more, I think, bearish on Keuchel than you are. You know, you think that, well, it's his first start back, he's on a pitch count, he looked bad. And I can tell you from covering the team for the last few months that one of the strangest parts about Keuchel has been he's been very cavalier about being out and being injured. It's nice that he's so positive and so optimistic and having a great time and very smiley and being himself, but he never showed concern that he missed all this time. In the, in the story that I wrote Friday about the game, I included a piece at the end of the story that I didn't report before because it didn't seem that interesting, but I thought it was you know, prescient now, which is that weeks ago when we were all waiting to hear um, where Dallas was going to do his rehab start, how many he was going to do, we were, waiting to, we were at the time, we were just waiting to actually to see him pitch off a mound. And he was, you know, nonchalant about it. And he said to me that he thought at the time all he needed was to throw batting practice once and throw off a mound, like, in the bullpen session one time, and he'd be fine. Wow. I mean, it was, it's ludicrous. Yeah. Now, and, and lo and behold, he ends up doing two rehab starts. He dominates in those starts. He dominates so profoundly in those starts that he was untested. And he then, you know, he goes into Detroit and was, you know, garbage. And he even said something to the effect after the game about how, you know, something like, you know, he should have prepared more. 
that he didn't prepare enough, right? Sort of conceding that, well, I guess I, I wasn't ready tonight. I, I mean, the, so the theme of all the, of this weekend is that the pitching staff is just not ironed out yet. There isn't a lot of confidence that um, the team's ready to take the next step. So we're less than 18 hours away from the trade deadline. When a lot of people are listening to this, the trade deadline could have passed. I'm curious from your perspective, did the Astros make a move to bolster that rotation? No, bullpen. It's going to be the bullpen. You know, it's funny. Derek Fogel of CBS Radio, our beloved Derek Fogel, he um, he had thrown out on the weekly brew maybe two weeks ago. I think that was what it was. That um, you know, gosh, they're really they're going to need bullpen help. And I, I think I even interrupted him. And I thought that was nuts. You know, you you want to add a great starter to this mix. And at the time, I was fantasizing that. Well, I think like a guy like Justin Verlander would work really well here. Sonny Gray would be amazing. Garrett Cole. These guys that, the truth is, I don't, I don't know if the Astros ever had a shot to get any of them because uh, Jeff Luno seems very conservative with the prospects he's willing to part ways with. And then this weekend happened, and Will Harris was put back on the 10-day disabled list for a bone bruise in his shoulder. And the it's... You know, I spoke with him today. He's, I would say, medium level of concerned about the matter. The guy hasn't pitched since July 5th. He's not going to be able to appear in a game until August 8th at the soonest. Um, you know, there's another guy that's going to miss a month of time. A major piece of the chain that is supposed to link the starter to closer Ken Giles, right? It's usually when the team was humming. It was Will Harris, I'm sorry, it was Chris Davinsky to Will Harris to Ken Giles. Well, smash cut to now, all these months later. And the injuries to the starters the last few months caused AJ to use the bullpen, I think it was 43% of the innings. So almost half of the innings went to the bullpen in uh, June, that was. And... It's all, you know, like caught up with all these guys. You know, Will Harris is burned out. And Chris Davinsky has looked more mortal than he had uh, when he made the All-Star team uh, because he's been overtaxed. And, you know, Ken Giles, I think, is fine. But the truth is that uh, although A.J. over and over again has said saves don't really matter to him, that he uses guys in high-leverage situations no matter what, you know, Ken Giles hasn't been brought in in the seventh inning or something like that. You know, Ken Giles clearly is preserved for the ninth inning. So the weapons that he has to work with right now are either missing Will Harris, depleted Chris Davinsky, or worn out and, you know, fallible, like Luke Gregerson the other night, who was really bad. In a, on, on Saturday, when they blew the game after Colin McHugh pitched really well, Colin McHugh gave a one run over uh, six innings. And Chris Davinsky had pitched the night before. AJ wanted to give him the night off. So AJ goes with Francis Martez, right? This prize prospect, 21 years old. Uh, this is a pretty big spot for that kid. And with a two-run lead, totally blew it. Coughed up three runs. And Luke Gregerson gave up another run, you know, an inning later. I mean, it was just, it was over. Um, I mean, th- those are games that the Astros used to assume were theirs, right? 
So I do, I think they're going to add, I just think it's easier to, to attain for them, you know, a relief pitcher, but I, I actually think they really need it now uh, much more than I did before. Yeah, we'll definitely find out what happens here in the next few hours as the trade deadline approaches. And I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm overreacting, but I'm a, I, when I look at the deeper issues, I'm a little bit concerned. But uh, Hunter, one of the other things that you uh, were very high on this past week is covering Jeff Bagwell's induction into the Hall of Fame. And you had an article in the Houston Chronicle, which I texted you on Thursday or Friday that, you know, that I was really fascinated with and, you know, just learning more about his injury struggles. You know, I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, when he was having those issues with his shoulder, and I didn't realize how much pain, you know, it actually had caused him. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, the more that you studied Bagwell and, you know, talking with different players, coaches, broadcasters, I mean, what do you make of him as a Hall of Fame inductee here in 2017? Well, as you know, I am not that big a fan of the Hall of Fame. We've talked about that before. Right. I don't really care, which makes me probably a bad person. But uh, I know you love it, right? You're, <laughs> you're way into it, right? I love it when Ash is in the I, Hall I, of Fame. I, well, it's probably good for the Rockets. Of course. <laughs> that, that's a deep cut inside reference for anybody that's listened to this uh, show for, for the last year. Um, yeah, I, I don't... Um, my personal opinion is that Jeff Bagwell statistically was not good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. I said it, whatever this came up in our conversation, um, I still think that now, I just don't think that he really was a dominant player. Uh, I think that the Hall of Fame, I just think it should be preserved for a higher echelon. But when it comes to just simply um, the admiration that the guy deserves. Um, he certainly is up there, high, much higher up there than I'm sure, you know, like every racist Hall of Famer that got in like before <laughs> 1950, right? Like, he, he's, he's a great guy. He was, um, you know, there, there, there are all kinds of cliches that were used to describe him, a consummate professional, a consummate teammate, the ultimate martyr also. Well, my story that I wrote for the Houston Chronicle that, anybody can get now um, it's all about the end of Jeff Bagwell's career. So he, he compiled fabulous numbers, 449 career home runs and uh, more than 1500 RBI. Both of those are uh, records for the Astros. Um, but he has a really incredible story of selflessness and enduring pain simply for the sake of, not just, it's not for the sake of staying in baseball and just playing. I think he really felt a profound onus to the team um, at an incredible expense to his own body. He, in 2001, Jeff still is basically, basically he extended his prime. We can get into if that was related to steroid use or not. Uh, we can touch on that in a bit. But he's, he's in his 30s, and he's still hitting for power. In 2001, right at the end of the season, it comes out that he played the entire year with a partially torn labrum in his right shoulder. And that was the beginning of the end. And um, fans for years did not know the extent of his pain. Uh, basically, as another two to three years pass, he no longer can throw. 
He cannot raise his right arm high enough to brush his teeth. He cannot put a blazer on by himself. He needs somebody to assist him. Often it was Brad Osmus. Um, he couldn't brush his hair. When he shakes hands, and this is still true to this day, he hunches simply to, I guess, make, make it a little, you know, like he makes his upper body a little lower and it helps him raise his hand to hip level to shake somebody's hand. Hmm. And he never complained about this, though. That's what's remarkable. You know, he didn't, he never tried, he never used it as an excuse for anything. Um, he was very open and very candid about the pain and about it, um, you know, being something that really was going to end his career. He was open about that. But he never, you know, he never said something like, you know, I can't play today. I don't want to play today. I was held out of the lineup today because of the shoulder. Never. He was so prideful that he would exercise the shoulder or, or sort of loosen it privately away from a lot of teammates, certainly away from the opposing team. He wouldn't do infield throws, warm-up throws, because he didn't want the other team to see how bad it was. So he would throw against a wall in a hallway between the clubhouse and the dugout during wow. the game. And, and like tons of examples like that. So I, I, he has a, a, an incredible story about sacrifice, about, you know, he really um, personified and embodied all of these principles, some of them cliche, but so be it, uh, these principles of playing baseball, quote, the right way, you know, um, and time and time again, teammate after teammate, uh, they praised him for that. Uh, so, so he certainly, I think, represents a spirit deserving of, uh, of being in the Hall of Fame. So you said playing the game the right way. When I think of that, I think about playing baseball cleanly. And obviously, Jeff Bagwell was always associated with the steroid era. That's speculation behind why it took him this long to get into the Hall of Fame. But, you know, something that I had totally forgotten about is in your article, you had mentioned that he admitted to using Androstenedione. And I, I specifically remember Mark McGuire admitting to using that, but I did not remember Bagwell uh, admitting to that use. And, you know, he suggested that he didn't use steroids past that. But, I mean, does that kind of put a little bit of a question mark in your eyes that he did use Andrew and, you know, maybe that speculation on the Hall of Fame voters might have had some truth to it? So there is no question that he used Andro. But that is not a question. He used it. He admitted it. He was asked in 1998 by a Houston Chronicle reporter about Andro, and he said yes. And at that time, much like when Mark McGuire took it, it was not a banned substance. Genetically, how do you, can you, I, I don't have it in front of me. Can you say the full name of it again, Andro? Yeah, it's Androstein Dion. Yeah, wasn't that your high school nickname? <laughs> That that's so just, that's just between me and you. <laughs> yeah, no one's listening. Um, so Andrew genetically is very similar to uh, strong anabolic steroids. It's just it's just like not that different. And it wasn't on the banned substances list for MLB at the time. They were not testing for it. But six years later, in two thousand four. It gets put on the uh, the banned substances list. So, you know, make your own judgments. 
if you think that that inflated or conflated some of Bagwell's numbers. I personally don't care. I've never cared. I have all these weird divergent opinions about records, numbers, lists, the Hall of Fame. Like we've talked about it on and on. I just, I'm, I'm I not only don't care at, at my core. I'm very tired and fatigued by the subject matter. Like in my mind, the consequence and ramifications for doing steroids is the suspicion, is the taint. And even if you're in the Hall of Fame, to me, you know, it's not that emphatic an entrance. It's not that, you know, it, it's invalidated to a certain degree simply because we all think you did or might have. Like, it, it, the whole process has been you know, spoiled by this, you know, nauseating argument about it, the debate, without resolution, mind you, you know. Uh, it's it's just so uh, it's not interesting to me at all. You know, I, I'm also the type of fan where I don't need a player who no longer plays anymore to have some kind of long-lasting relevance to the game. Like I'm cool enjoying the memories. You know what I mean? I don't need a museum to act. I'm like a museum to act like some living zoo of legends. Uh, so. I, I just don't really care about the matter. But uh, there's no question that he took Andrew. He said it. The problem is that in 2004, this is 2005, no, 2004, Richard Justice, then of the Houston Chronicle, now of MLB.com, asked him in 2004, have you ever done steroids? Just response, no. So, you know, it could be a matter of semantics. It could be a matter of shame and embarrassment. And weirdness. Jeff's been sort of honest about his displeasure <laughs> with discussing the matter. You know, he, he's tired of it, and he described it as "quote a buzzkill." Uh, <laughs> so, you know, which which it is. Uh, it, it's but it's just it's just not important. You know, really, who cares? You know, all the guys, every guy from that era is tainted anyway. I don't really think the plaque makes a difference. No, that's totally fair, and uh, I, I remember growing up in Houston, how important he was to the city, and just how every single person that I played Little League Baseball with tried to idolize his stance uh, and perform that in a Little League game before a coach told us, uh, that's a terrible idea, don't do that, try to emulate Biggio instead. But Wait, uh, oh, yo, wait, there's one more story I want to tell. There's yeah, go. Tell. So, so um, I also unearthed a great archival... Um, anecdote about Bagwell for my story and it's all related to his manic devotion to weightlifting so and, and this right. this of course is related to the to the steroid speculation uh Bagwell was buff so he was so buff that this is a little tangential but there was a WWF superstar not even WCW but there was a wrestler pro wrestler who looked a little bit like Jeff and ended up calling himself, as his stage name, Buff Bagwell. <laughs> and I encourage everybody at home to look up Buff Bagwell and then see what he's been up to lately. The only clue I will give you about what he's been up to lately is, let's just say, it has to do with a show called Gigolos. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's Buff Bagwell. Uh, but Jeff was manically devoted to weightlifting at a time when teams did not have formal weightlifting programs. 
he earned the Astros their first $25,000 worth of equipment by doing a photo shoot. He would lift weights after every game. (laughs) That's crazy. Nuts. You, you think this is a guy who played 162 games four times in his career? Every game four times? The other times he played like, you know, 159 games, 160 games. Basically, he played the whole season, lifts after every game, would lift on the road. And at that time in the 90s, when he got way into it, there, uh, the, um, the visiting clubhouses were not equipped with equipment. They were not given gyms. So he would use the home uh, team's gym. And how did this all start? You may wonder, how is it that Jeff Bagwell got so into weightlifting? It is rooted in a pretty open insecurity that he had. So in 1995, he's in great shape, uh, but he, but he hadn't filled out. He hadn't, uh, gotten buffer and he's lifting weights and Mike Hampton walks by and he says, you look skinny. Are you on crack? <laughs> as a j- as a joke, right? Um, and he's like ribbing him. Jeff did not take it kindly. Jeff said, and he said this in an interview with Jerry Krasnick of ESPN in 2010. And Jeff says, "quote uh, something like I shouldn't say quote. It was something I want of. Um, I said then that I would never let anybody say that about me again." And he just goes manic about it, and it was it was deep. He um, once when he was he was he reaches first base against the Braves, and Fred McGriff is at first. This is, this didn't make it in my story, but it's a great it's a great anecdote. He's standing at first, and somebody with the Astros organization then had told McGriff, "Hey, when Jeff gets on base, tell him he's looking kind of skinny. This is <laughs> this, yeah, this is like in." This is in the later 90s. It's in the early 2000s. I mean, so at this point, Jeff is, I think it's 2001, the guy said, the, the Astros employee who told me said. So Jeff is, uh, he's at his, basically at his biggest, at his most robust, and gets the first base. McGriff says it. He's like, yeah, you're looking kind of skinny. First inning, Jeff comes back to the dugout, and he walks over to this Astros employee, again, not knowing that Fred McGriff was put up to this, and he goes, Fred just said, I'm looking skinny. You think I'm looking skinny? Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, it's an intense level of insecurity. Uh, and he compensated hard. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you another, I'll, I'll make this one quick. But he, again, he would, he would lift on the road. This didn't make it in my story. He would lift on the road. And Wrigley did not have uh, a gym for the visiting clubhouse. So he would use their gym. And he sees that Sammy Sosa is getting a lift in. And, you know, he, want, he just asked politely, right, can I get in? And I don't know if they were doing curls or bench press or whatever. But Sammy, I think, I guess it was curls. And Sammy's doing maybe like 35-pound free weights or 35-pound dumbbells. I, people out there that actually work out, I'm sure, are going to laugh at all these <laughs> like, erroneous you know, descriptions. But whatever. The point is that Sammy's lifting a certain amount of weight. And Jeff doubles it. Whatever it was, Jeff doubles it and just pounds him out. And he, it was to the point where th- – this is from the perspective of, I should say, a uh, former Astros employee. So um, like, it's a little biased, but Jeff came back the next day to do the same thing. And when he saw Sammy, 
the second he got there, apparently Sammy's like, oh, no, 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 it's all yours, and then left because he was just so intimidated by the idea of getting shown up by Bagwell doing a twice as much as him. So anyway, part of that also, you know, contributes to the steroid discussion. Part of his workouts, um, of course, contributed to the degeneration of his shoulder, which suffered bone spurs that were so graphic and clear and voluminous that Brad Ausmus saw them on an x-ray and described them in my story as looking like stalactites and stalagmites. You know, like imagine looking into a cave and seeing all those, you know, like hanging down you know, structures or whatever and growths. That's just what it looked like. You know, these tiny pins and needles and bone spurs poking and jutting out of uh, Jeff's shoulder. And that's when the doctor said to Brad that someday, you know, Jeff's going to need shoulder replacement surgery. And then Brad said, uh, he told me, yeah, when you hear shoulder replacement surgery, you don't think the guy's going to play baseball. <laughs> so, so anyway, it's, it's, I, I encourage, I, I'm, I'm basically just told so much of the story, but uh, there's a lot more drama, a lot more pain. There's a really few beautiful scenes with uh, Jeff and Phil Garner in there. I encourage everybody to go to HoustonChronicles.com and find the story. Yeah, definitely check out the article on HoustonChronicle.com, or you can check it out on Hunter's Twitter page, at HunterAtkins35. And uh, Hunter, I know you're probably ready to get back to uh, the home base here in Houston, but uh, what do you have coming up for the Chronicle this week? Great question. Um, I'm like, my eyes are rolling, I'm thinking. I'm, uh, readers will not see my name in the paper for a little bit, for a little bit of time. I'm covering the game on Saturday when they play the Blue Jays, but I'm working on a separate project can't quite talk about yet for most of this week um over the weekend uh I, I plugged this a few weeks ago but unfortunately ended up getting delayed i have a really long magazine style narrative driven long form story about homelessness in houston and that is going to come out on sunday so in a week from when a lot of people will be able to, to download this episode wait before before i get off we didn't. I feel like we didn't touch on um, like the trade market enough. We didn't really touch on. You know what I mean? I feel like one of the things you would want to geek out about is, ooh, can they get this guy? Can they get this guy? Like, I said they need a reliever. You didn't even ask me who the hell I think they're gonna get. Well, the rumor I, right I, now is the rumor right now is Zach Britton. But uh, here's what I'm here's what I'm thinking. Maybe when you get back to Houston, we do a bonus episode post trade deadline. You think I have time for that? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would. Uh, I would love to. Well, let's point on that. If the Astros make a deal, we will talk about it sometime this week on a bonus episode of the Weekly Brew. But uh, Hunter, I really appreciate you jumping on the phone line late on a, uh, a Sunday night in Detroit, and uh, hope you have safe travels back here to uh, Texas, man. It's been good having your insight. Oh, thanks, man. I miss the uh, scorching hot, one hundred degree weather. But the last thing, last thing I want to leave fans with is I know that a lot of fans are dying to know, are the Astros going to trade Derek Fisher, their elite outfielder who's played very well, very capably so far in, uh, in just nine, nine or ten games uh, this rookie season? I do not think the Astros are going to trade him. I think that Jeff's, Jeff Luno's long-term plan not only is to develop him and to keep him, I think Derek is going to be insurance for eventually when Aoki gets phased out, which could be as soon as this year, he could be designated for assignment, when Beltran eventually is gone, and even, and this is the seed of doubt I will plant 
that everybody should be worried and thinking about. If George Springer is not locked up to a long-term deal, you know, Springer is now 28 going on 29. He's going to get a lot of money from somebody. I could see Jeff Luno eventually, basically next year, or maybe the year after that when I'm, uh, yeah, George, I think is a free agent in two seasons. Um, handing the keys to, to Derek Fisher and just letting George walk at that point. So I will, I will leave it on that point, on that note. By the way, George Springer's hurt. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't talk about that. George Springer went on the DL. There's so much going on, but uh, as we heard from the Astros, it looks like the, uh, the George Springer injury could, uh, you know, he probably could have played, but there's no sense as he said in missing uh, just six games rather than six week. But well, hold on. Look, I can tell you from, I look. I can tell you from covering the team, from being there. They say that with every guy. Fair. Dallas Keuchel and the and the pinch nerve. I'm not going to come back unless I'm 100. percent George Springer. Not going to. Dallas McCullers said this. Like uh, Charlie Morton said this. They all say the exact. Uh, Joe Musgrove. I bet if um, I took all of my. I'm not going to do this. I'm saying if I transcribed every single interview I had with all these guys during the time they were injured, the phrase. Not 100%, not less than 100%. It comes up every time. The latest was Will Harris today, okay? And although it makes sense, it's not that valuable information, right? Like, few players are going to come back unless they're 100%. (laughs) Also, 100% is not – 100%, it's not like it's an actual measurement that is tracked by fan graphs, right? Like, it's BS. It's, am I like, good enough to play without the pain or with a tolerable amount of pain that doesn't affect my performance? You know, like, that's what it really means, right? Like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really ridiculous. Don't get hung up on that. Don't get fooled by that. It means basically nothing. You know, like, it's kind of, it's binary for these guys. They either can't or they can play. They're either on the DL for 10 days or they're on the DL for longer than that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Carlos Correa, guy got surgery. He's out two months. They said it right away. The rest of these guys, it's just, you know, a crapshoot. And as a PR guy, I kind of respect that because they are very good at spinning stories. So it is what it is. Hunter, it's great having you on the show. Appreciate it, man. All right. Have a good night. Thanks, man. Closing time. Although it was an abbreviated episode of the Weekly Brew podcast this week, uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Hunter as he was in Detroit uh, covering the Astros series uh, as Jake Kaplan was off in New York covering the induction of Jeff Bagwell. But uh, pretty interesting insight from uh, Hunter on uh, specifically what I thought was Lance McCullers, who's a guy that has struggled uh, in his last few starts with the Astros. He just hasn't been the same since the All-Star break. Uh, I believe he's allowed something like 23 or 24 earned runs in the last 23 or 24 innings. And if you're an Astros fan, it's got to be very concerning because Dallas Keuchel has had injury issues this year. McCullers is supposed to be your number two guy. Who do you go from there? I mean, do you, do you rely on Charlie Morton? Do you rely on Brad Peacock, who has been a hell of an arm, a hell of a surprise this season, but has been relegated to the bullpen now? Or do you rely on Mike Fires, who, you know, he's been good since he was temporarily put in the uh, the bullpen, but is he a guy that you can rely on in October? And, you know, we're just a few hours away from the, uh, the trade deadline here in Major League Baseball, so who knows? By the time you listen to this, the Astros could have uh, – you know, a new starter in the rotation, but time will tell. 
Uh, if you're an Astros fan, you've got to like the fact that they are up 16 games right now in the American League West. That's not in jeopardy. They are 32 games over 500. Probably going to finish with the best record in the American League. But none of that matters if you cannot win in October. And the Astros need to win in October. And in order to do that, they have to be healthy. You've got to be concerned with McCullers, Morton, McHugh, Keuchel, all spending time on the disabled list this year. Those are your top four starters. That's concerning to me. The health of the players in the field has been a concern of late as well. George Springer on the DL. Carlos Correa out until the middle of September. You want to make sure that this team is humming and peaking at the right point. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. So we'll see what the Astros can do here at the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, if they can continue this hot streak in and get the right matchup to win in October. But I think all of that comes down to uh, starting pitching. And as Hunter said, uh, they need a little bit of depth in the bullpen as well as uh, Will Harris was sent down to the disabled list. Again, the 10-day DL after just being recalled two days prior. So that has to be concerning a little bit for uh, the Astros bullpen, which has seen some issues this year. Uh, You know, they started off April and May strong, but when the injury issues the starting rotation, they became tax. You're starting to see it a little bit. This team is talented. This could be the year. This is the year that Sports Illustrated infamously predicted that they would win the World Series. We'll see if that happens. They will be in the postseason. Matchups dictate everything. Can the pitching staff, can the offense match up against Red Sox, Yankees, Cleveland, Kansas City? We'll see. I'm optimistic here in Houston. But uh, thanks again to Hunter Atkins for joining us on the podcast, on the phone line from uh, Detroit. And again, you can follow him at Hunter Atkins 35 and uh, he'll be back here in Houston this week. And we'll do a bonus episode for you as well. If the Astros are able to uh, pull the trigger on a trade at the, uh, the trade deadline on Monday, but hope you enjoyed this abbreviated episode of the weekly brew podcast. And again, if you want to follow our work, just search weekly brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, you can check out our website at weekly brewcast.com but uh it's been a great week and on behalf of my guests this week hunter atkins my name is austin staten we'll see you next week you've been listening to the weekly brew 